One of my favorite things is coming up with sermon titles. Okay. And I realize that that's a really petty thing, but I love sermon titles. And I didn't like the first one I'd picked out, so I had changed it by this morning. So, what can I say? It's not wrong in the bulletin. I call it, Have You Not Heard? And you'll see why in a little bit. And it has very little to do with our passage today, but that's okay. In Acts... um, 13, last week we did verses 16 through 27, and in it we saw that Paul, as a respected visiting rabbi, was asked by the rulers of the synagogue in Sidian Antioch if he could deliver, as they said, words of encouragement for the people. In other words, the Sabbath sermon as a, um, as a well-known Resident of Asia Minor, as someone who had studied under Gamaliel, he was a known quantity. And the nice thing about asking Paul if he had any a sermon to give was that I think Paul always had a sermon ready to give. Not only was Paul willing, but he was both counting on being asked and prepared. So I think he knew that this was coming up, and I think that that's why he made a habit of going to to synagogue on the Sabbath before doing anything else in a city missionary work, is that I think he was counting on the fact that people would want to hear from him as a very learned man. As I pointed out last week, they say he had the equivalent of a PhD in both law and theology by the time he was 21. So... He was, he was a, what shall we say? He was one of the famous preachers of the day. He was known throughout the land. The passage we read last week was this. And this is the beginning of his sermon. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when they had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as he promised. Now this history that Paul recited here stretched from Egypt and ended at very nearly the present day. It ended within 15 years of the day that Paul was speaking. Moving from Israel's history, Paul went to prophecies about the Messiah. Today's passage for our study are the next five verses. 
It might be six verses. Acts 13, 24 through 29. Uh, I'll read it through like I often do, and then we'll take it verse by verse. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, and after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem, I retranslate this a little bit later on because I always get this wrong. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. That's the passage for this week. Last week we looked at, in some depth, the Jewish views of Messianic prophecy, uh, both in biblical times and today. Today we have a further look into those prophecies. When I prepare a sermon, I read about five different solid book commentaries, and I also go on the internet and look at trusted sites. And often somebody will say something that sticks out. Luckily, this week, John MacArthur did. Because the others, you know, this is sort of like a recitation of Stephen's defense and stuff, and really, they they contributed nothing. But John MacArthur, in constructing this, gave a series of prophecies of Jesus. Now, he didn't put them together the way I'm about to put them together, but he put them in this order. So, and I liked, if I'm, here's a theory on commentaries. You really don't need to, um, credit people who you get things from as Aaron has been going through the study in John she'll say I see what you mean he's quoting him who's quoting him who's quoting him and they're all with they might footnote it but it's not said however I like to give credit mainly when I'm when I'm directly taking something that's put out and this is how John MacArthur put together some of the messianic prophecies Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. More in numbers than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, and speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate, 
and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And that's from at least six books of the Bible, from numerous chapters put together into a narrative. And this truly only scratches the surface of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. I use this because it's concise and also because Dr. MacArthur already did my work for me. So I thank him for that. So with this narrative fresh in mind, let's turn back to Paul. Verse 24 says, Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now this was fresh history to the Jews in the synagogue in the city in Antioch. Who could forget that rough prophet dressed in skins and eating locusts and honey? God had fallen silent for 400 years before John the Baptist arrived on the scene. Malachi, which was the first quote that we had in our little passage there, was from Malachi. Malachi was not just the last book in the Old Testament, but arguably the last prophet. There were three prophets at the same time at the end of the Old Testament age. Malachi was one of them. The prophet who said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, which was fulfilled by John the Baptist, here referred to by Paul, which were also the last words of the Old Testament. I'm I'm sorry, these are the very last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Everyone recognized in John the promised new Elijah from the last words. I mean, remember, there's no New Testament at this time. This is where the Bible ends for the Jews. Very last words, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 25 then says, And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals whose, whose feet I am not worthy to untie. The Gospel of Luke puts it this way. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he was mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The people knew who John was. They recognized him as a prophet. Mind you, 400 years have passed. There has not been a prophet in Israel. And yet, John appears on the scene. And they know John is a prophet and are wondering if he is the Christ. Verse 26 has Paul saying, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Paul tells the Jews in the synagogue and the God-fearing Gentiles that God has sent them the message of salvation. The greater Gentile world knew nothing of God's promised Messiah. God entrusted the Jews alone with the prophecies. Okay? This was their responsibility. You know, we see the Jews as God's chosen people, but they also had a job to do in relation to the greater world. They were entrusted the message of the coming of the Messiah. It was their responsibility, the duty of God's people, to recognize the Messiah at his coming. How were they to do that? Well, by inquiring of the scriptures, by knowing the prophecies. Continuing in verse 27, Paul says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. I don't like the word order. Like I said before, let's try this. Those who live in Jerusalem, including their rulers, did not recognize the Messiah because they did not understand the prophecies that were read aloud in the synagogues and the temple every single Sabbath. But they still managed to fulfill all those prophecies of the coming Messiah by condemning Jesus to death. That's what that sentence says. I don't like the structure, and I did not just say scripture, I just paraphrased it for you. Thank you. So, 
verse 28 says, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. The key word in the sentence is guilt. Jesus was not guilty of anything, the only guiltless man as we know, but the Pharisees and the chief priests found him worthy of death. Don't be mistaken about that. Uh, The chief priests had already said better for one man to die than for the nation to suffer destruction. They're quite willing. And here's the point. They're quite, quite, quite willing not only to murder an innocent man, but they're quite willing to put to death the Messiah that God had assigned them the job of looking for. In Deuteronomy, it spells it out that the priests are supposed to be preparing the people for the salvation of the Messiah. And they failed to do that. Better to execute the author of life than to figure out the hard things. Verse 29 says, And when they had carried carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now, I don't know if Paul rushed through this sermon as quickly as it sort of says he's doing, and frankly, about as quickly as I have done here. Sometimes they only hit the important points when they're taking these things down. But he's saying, when despite themselves... They had managed to fill 1,500 years of prophecy. They took the Messiah off the tree and laid him in a tomb, fulfilling yet even more prophecy. So the question for the last 2,000 years is, and trust me on this, people are asking this all the time, how did the Pharisees and priests miss the coming of the prophesied Messiah? It was their job. God had given it to them to know when the Messiah was coming. He gave, one scholar hazarded 570 prophecies that mentioned the Messiah and what he would do. Another one said 460. Let me put it this way. There's more than what I just read. Uh, By far. How did they fail to see the event that all history had pointed to? How could they blind themselves to the very purpose of all creation? It's their job. What's the meme? You had one job. You know, they had one job. Many commentators offer reasons. One that I pulled off a site. The Pharisees were concerned with their own positions. And the Messiah would displace them. Another said that Jesus, and we've heard this a lot, Jesus did not fit the description of who they thought the Messiah would be. They were expecting a conquering king to displace the despised Romans out of uh, Israel, and that wasn't what they got. Um, Another said that the Pharisees were spiritually blinded. Now, all of these reasons may have a truthful basis, but I'm going to give you the most the most correct reason, okay? And you might think that I'm taking a little license here, but it's Jesus' words, so it's not me. I just haven't seen this before today, before yesterday. 
Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Jesus is talking to the, female, uh, to the uh, Pharisees. He answered, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. A few chapters later in Matthew 21, it says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, Have you you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Still in Matthew 21, verses 42 through 44, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And in Matthew 12, 3 through 8, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of the Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I've been showing you what is said in the liturgical readings from the Torah and the Prophets. And here we have a rhetorical question from Jesus. Have you not read? Well, I don't think it was really rhetorical. That's how I've always seen it, as a rhetorical question. You can read it even better knowing what we've seen as an accusation. Have you not read the words of scripture? Have you not read the words of the prophets? Have you not read? And he gives, what, six instances here? For if they ever had read about those things, about the Messiah and God's law, they had not understood them. The Jews of both Jesus' time and modern times have both missed the coming of the Messiah for the same reason. They were not looking for him because they had not read about him. The Jews of today say that they are saved by the Torah. By the way, that's an accurate quote. Because there is no temple sacrifice, if they are asked how they are saved, they are saved through scripture. They are saved through the reading of the Torah, specifically, which is why they read through the Torah completely in a year. 
They say that their salvation comes from the reading of Scripture. The Jews of Jesus' day said the same thing. Once again, I will give you Jesus' words to show you this is not my speculation. But the Jews of Jesus' day were saying the same thing the Jews of today say. In um, John 5, 39-47, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Okay? You search the Scriptures because you think the Torah is going to bring you salvation. Going on, he says, It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Pharisees missed recognizing their Savior because they did not understand the purpose of God's word. It is still the same today. That summary that John MacArthur gave me. Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The ancient Jews should have recognized this prophecy as fulfilled at the time of Jesus. But what about the Jews of today? It's written down on how it was fulfilled. In John 1, 9-23, now you might say, but Mike, they don't read the New Testament. Sorry, that's not my excuse. Okay, I read the Old Testament cover to cover. And by the way, Malachi 3 is not read in their weekly Jewish liturgy. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 was the next one that uh, I quoted. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is also not in modern Jewish liturgy. It starts at verse 4. That was 1 through 3. Verse 4 through 10 talk about the glories of Israel. But they won't read 1 through 3. Next one was Psalm 69.4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What did I not steal? What I did not steal, must I now restore? Guess what? The Jews don't read any psalm, any portion of psalm, in modern Jewish liturgy. Now, I'm going to partially let them off the hook here because they're, they are supposed to recite the psalms on a monthly schedule. Okay? So, they're reading them. But remember what the purpose of the prophecy portion of the Tanakh reading and the service was. It is the portion that you write a sermon to illustrate the Torah portion, the first five books of the Bible. They are not reading them in their service, so they don't have to preach the messianic parts. And you know how many messianic parts in the uh, Psalms there are. They're loaded with them. But not one portion of one psalm is read in their liturgy. And they could read John 15.25 for the fulfillment of that portion. Next one up is Psalm 109.3-5. We already know that they don't read this in the Jewish liturgy because they don't read any psalm. They encircled me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer, so they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. That's found in Matthew 27, 39, as fulfilled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Psalm twenty-two seventeen. You can find that in Luke 23, 35. They divide my garments among them and cast, and for my clothing, they cast lots. That's found in Psalm 22, next verse, 18. You can find that in John 19, 23 through 24. They give me poison for food, and for my thirst, they give me sour wine to drink. Psalm 69, 21, but you know they don't read that. You can find it in Matthew 27, 34 is fulfilled. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Psalm 22, 1. Matthew 27, 46. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Psalm 31, 5. Luke twenty three forty six. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Psalm thirty four twenty. John nineteen thirty three. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. 
Zechariah 12.10. Do I have to tell you that that's not read in Jewish service? Found in John 19.34. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, 14 through 18. We know from the Gospels that that was fulfilled. Finally, Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You do know that the victims of a crucifixion were usually cast into a common grave to be or left out in the field to be picked over by the birds of the air. They were not buried in a rich man's tomb. And yet, we know that to be fulfilled. That was from Isaiah 53, 9. No surprise, that is not read in Jewish liturgy. You know, when John MacArthur structured these prophecies, he did it for his own sermon. He didn't do it for me. He didn't do it for this purpose. But I knew when I read these verses that I would not find one of them being read by Jews of today. One last John MacArthur observation, actually it's not one last, it's the only John MacArthur observation I'm going to use. Why do the, did the Jews of ancient time, the Pharisees and the Jews of today not recognize Jesus the Messiah when he came. And this is a direct John MacArthur quote. Those who are ignorant of the written word will inevitably be ignorant of the living word. I had to quote it. It was too good to let pass by. Psalms 2, 2 through 9 say, The kings of the earth stood up, And the rulers gathered themselves together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, Let us break through their bonds and cast away their yoke from us. He that dwells in the heavens laughs them to scorn, and the Lord shall mock them. Then shall he speak to them in his anger and trouble them in his fury. But I have been made king by him on Sion, his holy mountain, declaring the ordinance of the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the ends of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt rule them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces as a potter's vessel. Now therefore understand, ye kings, be instructed all ye that judge the earth. I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Ask of me and I will give them to you. Guess what? We're those heathen. We're the inheritance. Jesus asked the Pharisees then, and the question is just as important 
today. Have you not read? Have you not read? For 2,000 years, for 3,500 years, have you not read? You are not saved by the written word of God, but by the living word of God. Let's close in prayer.